2: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host Ed Kless, and on today's show, folks, we're doing, in what year were you born? Generational astrology. Hey, Ed, welcome.
3: Hey Ron, good to uh, hear you again. We're, yeah. Although we might, we're going to probably be pretty sick of each other, we've been hanging out the last three days at Sage Summits. Though, but uh, what, no, always hours? good to see you. Always good to see you. Yeah, it's been twelve hours since we had had some uh, dinner at TI, TGI Fridays. A little shout out to them.
2: Well, that's excellent. Yeah, the
3: Sage Summit was uh, was fantastic. We were in Atlanta all week. Oh man, uh, just just a great event. Our events team, as always, just does a spectacular job they with do. that event. And uh, you know, one of the things I, I think that just just sets this this event apart. I mean, aside from the fact that it is dedicated to entrepreneurs, or as we call them at Sage, business builders, and it's really one of the largest conferences of entrepreneurs that you're going to find in the world. Uh, I really like the way that we do many of the sessions, and it's a little controversial, but but it really works, I think, to keep the energy up in that the trade show area and where some of the session content is delivered is is in one big area. Right. And although sometimes you feel a bit like a carnival barker. Uh, I, I think it does d- does a, a lot for the energy, and certainly attracting people as they're walking by, and and it, you get people who might not have attended the session all of a sudden stopping in and uh, and and ga- gaining some insight and information. It's a lot of fun. It really
2: is. I think it's a great setup. And I and I particularly love how if you're sitting in a session and, you know, maybe it wasn't what you were expected or whatever, you can easily get up and, and walk out and go find another one going on rather than being stuck in a breakout room where you're trapped.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. Some really good stuff. So so what, anyways, were it,
2: the, what were some of the highlights for you?
3: Yeah, well, and there are a lot of them. It's really hard to, to, to narrow some down, but you know uh, certainly, and and look, there's going to be a little bit of a plug. But then again, Sage does sponsor the show. So the heck with it, right? Um, I'm really jazzed about our release of Sage Accountant Cloud. Um I really think that this is is going to be something that that accountants, especially you know small to mid-sized firms, can can take advantage of. Uh, just based on the sales Salesforce platform, Ron, and and it it basically is CRM, but then really on steroids, right? Because it 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 allows you to to not only then track your interactions with your customers, but then also to connect with the the accounting data of those customers in one place, right. and. Of course, the, you know, the first connectors that we've announced are for our own products Sage 1 and Sage Live, but but we're on the roadmap and, and building is is connectors into products from publishers that are not Sage. I'll not name them here, but uh, and I and I think that's a really cool thing. And I and I and the, and the other neat thing Ron, is that I'm working with some of the the team who's in in product management and I'm sorry, product marketing. Mm-hmm. About building some of the stuff that we talk about, value conversations and and pricing, and, and probably the first up will be some project management stuff uh, right into the product itself. So this might be one of the first products that's really available out there for organizations that want to do full-on value-based pricing and jettison timesheets. So I'm jazzed about it.
2: I am too. I mean I think that whole project management if they incorporate some of your ideas in that that's going to be the most sophisticated workflow product on the market because you've got a completely different approach to it than you know everything else that's out there.
3: Yep. Yep. So I'm 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 really excited about that. Uh, you know just just some of the other highlights I suppose we, and, and I know you didn't go to, to all of the keynotes, but the, the George Foreman yesterday was fantastic. just a great storyteller. <laughs> Sure, sure. And uh, it's clear that he's done it about a million times <laughs> and really knew his story and 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 the flow of everything. And it was it was just it was just really fun to see him. And he got the got the crowd exciting. I, I don't know if there was any business insights that I picked up from George Foreman. But but, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed just the. if you're only going to give me a half hour, I can I can I can take that stuff, you know, right. Um, but. The one that stood out for me, and I think I mentioned it to you when we were uh, kind of debriefing about it, was this guy by the name of Josh Browder, B-R-O-W-D-E-R, and he's uh, a British entrepreneur, and he is the founder of a bot. It's not an app. It's a bot called Do Not Pay, and it's a, it's a, a website that allows motorists to appeal their parking tickets automatically. And he 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 started this this bot at 18 because he received a large number of parking tickets and his parents said nope we're cutting you off dude <laughs> not gonna pay <laughs> it for you anymore right so he noticed that these tickets were were in some cases being issued unfairly I guess in London it's one of the ways that the the city of London makes a ton of money right and there's a formulaic process to which you can appeal it so he just created the site and it's it's um. It's attracted over 200,000 successful users because now it not only works for London, but New York City. Wow. And it saved an estimated total of $5 million, both in London and, and New York. Jeez. Jeez. That's awesome. This, this guy, when you – and I'll see if I can find a clip of him to post as part of the show notes – it's like watching Sheldon from Big Bang, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's <exactly laughs> with glasses, right? He, with he glasses. Does, no, he's got the glasses. He's, you know, it, right. it, he actually got a Sheldon little bit more hair. Sheldon doesn't wear glasses. Sheldon yeah, he got a little bit more hair than Sheldon. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Sheldon doesn't wear glasses. But it's the the nerdy kind of look, right? And oh man, and it, and it talks like, and it, it, this really kind of nerdy voice, and. It, it, but one of the things that he said, Ron, that I thought it was particularly apropos for our audience here, he's like, "Yeah, I hate lawyers." <laughs> <laughs> this guy was just absolute living proof that that which kills you does not look like you.
2: Oh, so true! Wow. Yeah, take take five million dollars of revenue from
3: the city. That's awesome, and and from some attorneys. Take some oh, of their revenue, and, too. And his next bot, the next bot that he's working on, is for helping refugees claim asylum. Wow. But, you know, it's maybe the same process.
2: I thought about this last night, but you know, didn't Wozniak, one of the first things he did was build a black box, they called it, or something that could make long-distance phone calls for free?
3: Did- <laughs> Really? I had
2: not heard that almost positive that that's was one of their projects, like you know, in the dorm in college or whatever. And they figured out how to do it. And of course, it drove the phone company crazy. This was back when the phone company was a monopoly, right? but but oh. they had figured this thing out and hacked it and it, it worked beautifully. But I, And I can't remember if they got caught or, you know, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> it, that's one of those things where if you get caught, you, you get hired by the phone company. Cause you're right, so right, 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 right.
3: <laughs> well, wasn't Gates' first thing with, he had, he had like, traffic light, lights or something? And then the second thing was was setting up the, the the class schedule at his high school and he made sure that he was in class with all the pretty girls? <laughs>
2: I, yeah, I do believe that. And then, he, and then he started writing actual payroll programs for like government municipalities. Mm. And, and in fact, it's one of those when he asked his father, Hey dad, how should I charge for this? And his mm. dad being an attorney, you know, started asking about, well, how long did it take you? And he says, well, why would I want to do that? And he said, so he ended up charging by the check that the program processed the payroll, you know, counted the number of checks. Yeah. Which is a lot smarter than the time, but
3: yeah, good good on him for not listening to his dad on that one for sure. <laughs> but what what uh, any moments of of summit uh, stand out for you, Ron?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed the panel that we did with um, Gail Perry and um, who was it, Danielle?
3: Danielle Lee. Right. Uh huh.
2: Danielle Lee. Yep. Uh, on the uh, basically business model changing in your professional firm. I thought that was a real interesting panel. The crowd seemed to to really enjoy it, and I, of course, loved the show that we recorded. Yes, uh, where we talked about innovation and in accounting as it's it's not an oxymoron. And we yeah. had Tom Hood, Jody Paydar, Gail Perry, and uh, Gary Boomer. Uh, yes, and you and I uh, got to interview those four, and uh, we're going to end up doing something with that, aren't we?
3: Yeah, I think we it might turn into two shows, Ron. Two future shows. The first one will be next week, so there's just a quick preview of uh, what's coming up in 168 hours right now. But um, so I think we're we we're, we're fine with that, and then might be a second show in about a month or so. So we're we're pretty pleased. I've got to do the editing on that next week, so we'll let you know for sure. But uh, it was good stuff. It was good stuff, and I think we kept the audience was engaged the entire time. We took audience questions. And I, I really it was a lot of fun just to set it up as a as the radio show. And I think it I think it added an additional set of energy to to the crowd. It did. It did. It was really good. Uh and a and a great topic too to talk
2: about. You know, what what kind of innovation is happening out there in the accounting profession. I mean, it was specific to that, but mm-hmm. uh it was it was really interesting to get all everybody's perspective and what they're seeing out there and you know some are more optimistic than others and 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 that was that's what made it so interesting is the diversity of ideas,
3: yep, yep, and you had a great crowd for your session, which uh, the, the name got changed from Measure what Matters, but that was effectively the session, so you had some good feedback on that, yeah, people
2: kept asking me, why would you take a topic like this into a group of people that love measurement <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're the ones that need to hear it the most, <laughs> and, and folks, that's basically the show. Ed and I did a show. What was it, Ed? The um, the seven moral hazards of measurement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and was I part we, of it. Yeah, that was part of it. And I know we've done shows on KPIs and things like that before, but uh, so it was that theme, and it, it, boy, it really resonated with some people. I was, I was, uh, I was shocked. I think Ed, they're finally. The profession might be starting to figure out that just because we could measure something doesn't mean we can manage manage it or change it. And this really struck home for me when the um he's not the CMO, but he's a marketing person at Procter and Gamble. He stood up at a conference and he, he was talking about digital. And one mm-hmm. of the things, of course, that that you know the digital advertisers rave about is everything is so measurable right? Number Mm -hmm. of clicks, eyeballs, time on, you know, I mean, they measure, there's literally like a million metrics. And this guy said, you're, you're giving us all these measurements and people are avoiding our ads. (laughs) He says, our patience is at an end, you know, it's just, we're looking at the wrong stuff. We've got to get, we've got to get some clarity around what the right measures are. And boy, I'll tell you, when Procter & Gamble stands up and says that, you know things are going to change very fast.
3: I agree. I agree. I think the other thing that people get from that session, Ron, and I I saw it when we did our little TED Talk type style presentation as well, which had fewer people there but was still well-received. And the, it, it's this notion that you that we we the move to key predictive indicators is something that's very important, and that people and that they don't exist in the financial system; they exist outside. And uh, and there was a lot of the pretty universal agreement with that concept.
2: So yeah, yeah, they they realize that they have to look beyond the financial statements. Mm-hmm. Well, this was great because one of the things on the reset on the uh, show recording that we did was we asked mm-hmm. the number one issue facing the profession, and one of the panelists said. The generations. And and I think she meant multiple generations in the workforce. And that's exactly what we're going to deal with, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk about the whole um, multiple generations, the boomers, the X's. I can't even keep track of all these categories I had my head spinning. But uh, in the meantime, folks, if you'd like to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at varisage.com Please keep your emails coming in. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of you uh, email us, and and we do answer. And uh, we're always thrilled to hear from you and get your feedback. And also check out our show, no- show notes at the soul of And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are Leading Results.
3: and Ron, first of all, let's kind of cut through what some of these generations are. I mean I, and I, you, and you're right because it's very confusing. a lot of the, a lot of the times there there's there's I, I think who, who is that again? What does this mean? It,
2: there's overlap Ed and there's different uh, the different years and and just let me ask you this. let's just start with a generation. Is't a generation between 20 and 25 years or I am I missing so, something
3: right? Because I would some think, of these yep.
2: Some of these classifications are 14 years. It's like, yep. okay, unless we have a lot of babies out there or teens having kids, that's not a generation.
3: I agree. I agree. And, and th- 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 I guess there's some, I don't know, we we'll, we'll call it uh, uh, agreement on some of this. So here, here's the ones that I have. All right. Okay. And you tell me if like this is the ones that make sense to you. There's what are called the traditionalists. Now, I think most of these people are are pretty much out. This is like the the folks that are that are are your and my parents' age.
2: Sure, right? 1925 to nineteen forty five, roughly, give or take. Roughly, right? Nineteen forty five. They're yeah.
3: talking, yeah, end of World War Two, or they yeah. were before, before the end of World War Two. Right, right. And there's very few of those those folks who are still actively in the workforce. There, I'm certainly there. There are there are some, and some that are doing some some great stuff. So I'm not not gonna dispute that um the boomers and this is another one that i think is pretty clear as well because this is this has been around for a long long time and that is the generation that's 1946 uh, born in 1946 through 1964 correct yeah Correct? Right? Yep. now this is where it gets less clear <laughs> right? very much so <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bit more more murky that we have what's called gen x which Obviously, it has that has to begin in 1965. Now, I'm I, I'm technically in this, and you're te- are you technically in Boomer, Ron? I'm in mean Boomer. You're technically the end of the Boomer, on the beginning I'm, of Gen of boomer, X. Okay. Yep. And then where this goes to is a little bit disputed. I've seen it as late as 1980. I've seen it as early as like say 1976, which, to your point, that's only 11 years.
2: Yeah, that's not a generation, I, right? I, okay.
3: <laughs> so you've you've got to push it until at least I would say at least 1990. At absolutely, least. absolutely. But they they don't. So they they bring that back and that, So but let's call 19. I'm sorry, I'm not 1990, 1980. Because then it's at least 15 years, at least mm-hmm. 15. Right. Then they have this thing as the millennial, and I think the way that they t- they want to confirm this millennial stuff is that the millennials came of age during the turning of the millennia. <laughs> right mm-hmm. that's so came so this is well 1977 and 97 and then this this new one which is born after generation 2020 which i suppose will be become 20 or so in the year 2020 so they've already got a, a name specced out for the next one the, the millennials were used
2: to be gen y Right. Correct. 1980 to 2001. And now we're at Gen Z, which is like 2001 and up or something. And I've seen that as early as 1995, too. So, Mm -hmm. look, Ed, it's all BS. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) You you, you know what? Yeah, I don't care how you divide up these demographics. And look, demographics is fascinating. All these cohorts and everything, because to some extent, destiny is, uh, you know, demography is destiny on, on some levels. Um, but what really bugs me about all of these things, you know, you start looking at lists of how they break these these different groups up and they, oh, they're key historical events. Okay, I get it. The traditionalists lived through the Great Depression, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and, you know, the Korean War and Sputnik and all this. And, and, you know, the baby boomers big thing was the Vietnam War and the uh, JFK assassination and Martin Luther King. And, you know, the Gen Xers had to deal with AIDS and the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. And I'm like, OK, great. Yeah. OK. So different things happen in different time periods.
3: Right. Big deal.
2: And, right.
3: <laughs> and, and you're formed to a certain extent by, you know, the the events that surround you. We all remember, like I remember where I was when 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 Reagan was shot, for example, sure. or, you or know, the challenge or. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All that or stuff. When the first right.
2: man landed on the moon. Right? Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, I'm not discounting any of that. that was, there's just the historical events that that shape us. But what really, what really irritates me about this, and I, and I think it does you too, is we're just what about the individual? We're just all individuals here. Yep. Yep. And, and I just, I just, it just drives me crazy to read these things about, especially when you start break, they start breaking it down into their work characteristics. You know, exactly the The baby boomers are workaholics and they're idealistic and competitive while the millennials are entitled and they're optimistic and you know they have close parental involvement and it's like i i don't think this explains anything
3: mm-hmm. no i completely agree and and what is weird about it to me is uh, well uh, let me back up a second i want to just clarify I am not saying or and, and Ron you tell me if this is what your thought is too. I am not saying that people when they're younger might have certain attitudes about things that are different from people who have been in the workforce for a number uh, for a period of time. Absolutely. Right? But to say that, you know, these millennials are, you know, young, ambitious, they you know, they want more responsibility than and, well, so did I. I know they want immediate <laughs> feedback. They, they, you know, oh, so <laughs> so <did I>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they want to be recognized for their work. Yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: And I'm just reading something here. It says they get, they get restless after a little while in one place. They're selfish, satisfied and capricious. These young people, they work, but they're only marking time. Now, you know, it, you could think, well, that was said by somebody today. I mean, I've heard partners and firms say things almost very similar to this. This was written in 1907.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I
2: mean, you, you know, if if you're going to talk about generations and, and these business people, and especially the consultants that focus on this, they drive me nuts the most. It's mm-hmm. like, read literature. But how could you, you know, literature has been talking about this forever. The conflict mm-hmm. between the generations. This isn't this isn't new, and it's not, it's not explanatory.
3: All right, ready, Just, Ron? I'll see your I'll see your 1908 quote. All right, great. <laughs> and I'll raise you to this one: the young people disrespect their elders and ignore the law. That would be Plato. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. All right. Bingo. Yep. You know. Uh, okay. It's, yes. They seem more privileged than, than their their peer, than than their elders. Yes, got it. No, no question about it. I, it it's it, it that is completely nonsensical to me. To to and, and th- with all due respect to a lot of people who I talk to on a regular basis and do they do presentations on this stuff mm. and people pull it up and laugh at it and it's like oh yes this now I get it. Now I know what I need to do when I go back to my office to change my comp plan.
2: Yeah, really? <laughs> or to communicate to a millennial or, you know, baby right. boomer or whatever. And it's like, how about treating them like a human being? <laughs> you know, and and then I go and I look at you know, if you go look at Aristotle's list of human emotions, right? You got things like anger and love and fear and confidence and shame. I mean, and there's more. <laughs> That's more explanatory. And Aristotle wrote that. Right. Yeah. You know, and that hasn't changed. It, it, this re- all reminds me of what Lappin says, you know, at the start of his show, the more the world changes, the more we have to rely on those things that never change.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like, you know, if you look at the seven deadly sins and and the virtues and the vices and all of that, I mean, that that's got far more explanatory power. We're humans. We're subject to all of this stuff. It doesn't matter what year you were born, right? I, yeah, I. The other thing um, I think that's really interesting about all this is, I think what a far more powerful. Like they say that the boomers, you know, they're not as loyal. Um, they they want uh, they want to rise faster. You know, they they think they should start at the top, not have to do the grunt work and all that. I think that's more a function of just wealth. It's what economist Brink Lindsay calls the age of abundance, right? Mm-hmm. Just the fact that wealth provides these younger people more options. I mean, we talk about this constantly. It's one of the themes of the show is that we're getting wealthier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, wealth gives you, you know, screw you money.
3: Yeah. Well, b- b- yes, but I don't know if, it, if that's even a factor in all of this. Well, I, I guess to some extent it is, but for 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 millennia before eighteen hundred, when you know we traced back the great enrichment, as Deirdre McCloskey calls it, it there was not a lot of additional wealth creation, right? Mm-hmm. And I bet. Evidence Plato that there were plenty of people who thought that the next generation was saying that it was more privileged than the previous and expected more and all of this stuff. Oh,
2: oh, I told yes, I yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I meant I meant specifically in the workforce, like like for for instance, when Sarbanes came out, some of these young kids, you know, they'd get assigned to this terrible project of going out and footing spreadsheets or whatever. I mean, it was ditch digging work for knowledge workers. Some of the Sarbanes Oxley work. These kids would come back at after two or three weeks in the field, pack up their stuff, walk into the managing partner's office, and this big four accounting firms, by the way, and say, I'm out of here. This isn't why I went to five years of college. Now, I wouldn't have dreamt of doing that. Okay, Mm -hmm. because my attitude was, well, this is the grunt work I have to do. I got to pay my, got to pay the price, right? I see what you're
3: saying. Okay, yeah.
2: But these kids have more options. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They know they're in greater demand. They know they, the value that they create is, in other words, they know they're knowledge workers, and they know the organizations need them more than they need the organization because they own the means of production in their head. Mm-hmm. And and specifically, that's what I meant when I was talking about they. You know, they had this screw you money. Gotcha. They have more options. <clears throat>
3: they have. They have. They have, they are they are living in in abundance. But again, I just I don't know if that necessarily changes the the overall or overarching attitude. Anyway, well, we can talk about this more. I and coming up, folks, I'm I'm going to go through a couple of articles that I found that it really gives some evidence to what it is that we're talking about here, uh, talking about how how this is a, a myth from a, from a marketing standpoint and nonsensical when it comes to uh, some of even the, the mantras that are said over and over again. And I'll, I'll we'll give you that evidence in our next segment. But right now, we want to remind you that you can contact both Ron and me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, hashtag Ask TSOE if you want to chat with us on Twitter and get get our attention that way. That would be helpful as well. But right now, we want to hear a word from our sponsor.
4: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, "The Soul of Enterprise: Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy." The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're doing generational astrology. And Ed, our second president, John Adams, Mm -hmm. said, I must study politics and war. So that my sons may have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy, and they in turn must study those subjects, so that their children can study painting, poetry, music, architecture. You know, and, and I, you look at that and you go, "That's so true." We're always trying to pass on a better life to our progeny, mm-hmm. and I think we've done that. I mean, in today's economy, intellectual capital economy, you can you can be a, a a celebrity chef like Wolfgang Puck and earn $16 million. I don't think that was possible, you know, 50 or 75 years ago. Maybe Juliet Childs did it. Uh, but Or you can be the world's uh, greatest hot dog eater. You know, that guy, the Japanese guy, I can't pronounce his name, but uh, he pulls down over 200 grand a year eating hot dogs.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Only to be outdone by the Joey Chestnut. That's the American guy, Ron, you know? Uh, okay, okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy was. Yeah, he was the champ in two thousand one or something. Or yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know that changes, it goes back and forth, doesn't it, between us and them? But what, it it is, You know, in other words, there's just more opportunities. There's just more wealth, uh, and and I just, I think that's a far more explanatory thing than than asking somebody, you know, what year were you born.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Well, let me let us me offer some evidence, Ron, on this because okay. I said I would Great. do that. This is this is a, from uh, Mark Ritson was a piece in the Australian written last year, June 6, thousand sixteen, and this is how he, he opens this. the 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 title of this piece is "Millennial Marketing." Millennial marketing myth is more digital dupe. Okay. <laughs> let me be clear from the very outset: the millennial segment does. Not exist. Any decent marketer with proper training should know it. On the second day of your marketing course, you were taught about the basic definition of a segment, right? And that is that that they, they are homogeneous within and heterogeneous without. They're different from the rest of the market. And as armed with that definition, it is easy to understand why millennials do not cut it. For starters, it's clear that the segment cannot be homogeneous, right? In any way. And he goes point. on to, yep, yeah, he goes on to 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 say all of the all of these things are clearly nonsensical. Uh, we'll post the the link to this article. Although I will say that you can you can read it the first time through, but the second time you go in, I don't know how the Australian does this, but then they block you out for the the second reading, so you can only mm-hmm. read it once. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got to then, – then it's behind their payroll. payroll. Right, right. So, but he says there, there they said that a, a recent study by American research firm Futurecast, which I didn't get a chance to look up, set out to demonstrate just how different the millennial mindset was from the other generations. The findings, ready? There were no significant differences between millennial sample and the total population, right? Yeah. I love it. I,
2: yep. You know, when you when you, you hear people say millennials are lazy or or um, even if you want to talk of politics, you know, they're they're a bunch of liberals or whatever. Well, go look at the millennials in the military mm-hmm. and, and and tell me a 19 year old Air Force pilot flying a 60 million dollar fighter jet is lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes <laughs> or, or the people down in Silicon Valley that are creating our future by developing you know all this great technology blockchain whatever are lazy um, and yeah there's you can find liberal millennials I can show you a bunch of conservatives too and you can show me a bunch of libertarian millennials mm-hmm. it just it doesn't make any sense to put these people in the same pot they're human beings
3: yeah what what i think is is interesting is that many of the the research that i found including the previous one but this next one that i'm about to cite they the many of the researchers were all went into it thinking that they were going to find conclusive evidence of this and in many cases found the reverse yeah right uh, which I, kudos to those those people as researchers, because usually what I've seen a lot of researchers do is they, you know, they call out the data that only supports their thesis. And then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> confirmation print, bias. Yeah, right. prints that, you know, it's like, OK. Um, but so I'm just going to run run through. These are the, 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 the front, this is from an article. Uh, th- the, and I love the na- the title of this article. We need let, less generational nonsense and more leadership. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is from a a thing called uh, the Clemmer Group, C-L-E-M-M-E-R-G-R-O-U-P. And yes, we'll put this all in the show notes, but this was uh, the the Jennifer Deal is a senior research research, uh, scientist at the Center for Creative Leadership and author of The Retiring Generation Gap. This is a study of 12 years over the so-called generation gap, right? Empirical evidence, 13,000 online surveys. And here's what she found. And uh, the, the five millennial myths. One, with myth number one, millennials don't want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. The reality, according to the research, they're actually more deferential to authority than baby boomers or Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Myth number two, millennials lack organizational loyalty. The reality, they have the same commitment as previous generations and they do although they all young people always change jobs more often that's how it's always been and they and people in lower lower levels of organization always have less commitment to yep. their organization by definition yep right so this is just again this is the evidence of what we were talking about before is that this has nothing to do with them being a different generation it but it does where there is a factor of people that they're young <laughs> Yep. Right. And in different stages of the career. Myth number three: Millennials aren't interested in their work. Uh, they are actually interested. The reality is that they are intrinsically motivated as other generations, but they are turned off by boring work and they want more meaningful work. Which, surprise, no yeah, surprise. I was surprise. turned off by it too. <laughs> right. When you were told to add the phone book to practice your ten key skills, so you didn't like that, huh? <laughs> Right. Myth number four, millennials are motivated by perks and high pay. Right. This is data from over 5000 people aged 22 to 82 found no generational differences on this issue. None. Zero. Right. And then finally, the last myth, millennials want more work life balance. There's another one we need to do a show on that one. Work life balance. Right. Right. This one, they said, there's a there is a slight bit of truth to this, but again, it is more related to stages of life and when you have your family, and because because we've been putting off having kids to later and later, right? The work this work life balance piece has has been pushed pushed down a little bit to late. It used to be in the happened in the in the say that the the, the um, mid mid to mid to late twenties, and now it's happening in the late twenties to early thirties. Right. Right. So, wow, I like go. that, Ed.
2: I like those myths. Um g- g- let me add one to that that I've okay, read sure. something a lot about recently with respect to this and I'm sure you've heard this. Millennials don't want to own anything. Yeah. They mm-hmm. they like Uber and they like Airbnb. Forbes tore this apart and said this is nonsense. Millennials want cars. They want houses. Problem. They don't have any money. Job markets <laughs> hasn't been great. Uh, they're in college debt, right? I mean, uh-huh. as soon as they start banking, um, they're probably going to be just as acquisitive as anybody else.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was just—it's just one more thing. Just how can you take say about a whole generation? Oh, they don't want to own a car. I mean, yeah, I understand they have the option of Uber. But I, I just, I, I, I don't, there's no evidence for any of this.
3: Mm-hmm. Nope, totally agree. And let me just summarize. I, I just want to g- give uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Deal her due because I think she, she writes eloquently on this. And this is the, her, 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 her basically executive summary. Okay. Ready? You're Because you're going li- you're, you're to like this, right? Focus on making sure they are fairly compensated, have interesting work to do, and have the opportunity to learn develop and advance in other words create an organizational culture that will st- support all employees regardless of when they were born that's called leadership and there aren't any shortcuts or secrets
2: it's called humanity <laughs> <laughs> now yep w- one thing that is interesting and and again i think this goes back to definitions and and, and how long your generation cohort, cohorts are, but uh, if it, you know, there's no doubt that we might have more generations in the workforce, although if you've got a 15 year generation, I'm not sure that's true, but it is true to the extent that we're living longer, right? And people are working longer. average life expectancy now is, you know, right, is, is 50 years of work or, or maybe even more where the average organization may be around for only 30 years. You know, and that's for large organizations, smaller organizations be even less. So, yeah, you would expect in these types of environments, people would have more jobs. And like you said, they're going to they're going to bounce around more when they're younger till they find their niche or whatever. Um, But I'm not even sure um, what to make of that. You know, the fact that, okay, yeah, you might have multiple careers uh, in today's world, you know, you might you might do two or three different things. You know, you might start out as a lawyer and then pivot to something else. I mean, we, we see that all the time. Um, that doesn't that doesn't I still don't think that's explanatory that much.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You may end up start out as an accountant and end up a talk show radio host, you know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> or a professor or whatever. So yeah, I, wow. Yep. I'm glad to know that uh, we're not in the we're we're not the only ones that believe all this is hokum.
3: No, no, we're 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 definitely not alone in our thinking on this, which which is good. I, 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 I will, again, I will say this. I think, and maybe we'll talk about this in the last segment. I, I do want to draw a distinction between what is often parlayed as this this hokum of here's here's what to do in the workplace. Uh, And here and here's the the, here's how all of all of them behave. Right. These collective nouns. And and then just to say that, yes, I do think there are some differences in the way and the method of thinking, what it what it was called, the notic or way of knowing, Mm -hmm. because I think that that can be influenced And you and I had a a conversation at dinner last night about this, I want to make sure that we bring that up in our our last segment. But right now, we want you to remember that you can contact Ron or me at AskTSOE at varisage.com and please do visit Our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can get show notes and previews to upcoming shows, as well as our calendar of of events where you can see where either Ron or me or both, in the case of Sage Summit, are appearing next. And we'd love for you to pop by any of those events that are open to the public. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor and, yes, my employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
3: We're talking about the hokum that is generations at work and I think that ron, we've we've dispelled some of this by by printing uh, by showing some some pretty interesting studies and facts. But there is one aspect of this that I think does make sense, and that is i I think that there is something to brain function and age. And I also think there's something to the fact that what you have access to as you grow up, Uh, it does influence the way you think about certain things. The Greeks called this the notic G N O T I C or way of knowing Mm -hmm. how, how is it that your, 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 your brain understands and knows things. And let me give you an example of this. When, when you and I were growing up, Ron, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas was only on once a year, eight o'clock on the second Tuesday in December CBS, and if you missed it, you're you're basically screwed for a year, right? Yep, so you, you like hound hound your parents. To me, we gotta be home Tuesday for the <laughs> Grinch, right? Like, <laughs> so it was like pretty important to drive it because that was your only choice. My um, oldest daughter, Kaylin, I will uh, turn I believe twenty seven this year, and when she was growing up she had the the, the, the vcr the, the the video cassette of how the grinch stole christmas right so you know it was great it was like hey want it's 4th of july let's watch how the grinch stole christmas <laughs> <laughs> that's fine honey yes put the the tape in but there was a thing with videotapes and you we remember folks you had to rewind them right there was mm-hmm. the rewind there was even a separate rewinder that you like taken. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. but we took the tape out of the cassette out of the the machine and put it in the rewinder there was i, I something that the rewinding was bad for the machine I don't know but anyway there
2: penalties if you didn't if you brought it no, back Oh, you be kind it, rewind. Rewind it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: So all right so you re we you, you you rewind it and there's a delay there's clearly a delay right well now well, my son Sean and when he wa- watched the grinch stole christmas not only did, it, did was it was it uh, on any time but there wasn't even the 45 second delay if he wanted to watch it again right. <laughs> right so like you know the the delay went down from a year for us down to 45 seconds for my oldest daughter down to instantaneous Right. And click a button. And so the, uh, understanding the concept of rewind is difficult. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that there's cer- certainly something to the when you're when you come of age and, and how your brain is formed around certain concepts like that. And I think there's sure. some influence into that. I, yeah, no
2: doubt. I mean, if you grew up with this technology and, you know, that is why maybe they can multitask or, or they're just more computer literate and more comfortable. I mean, you did a session at Sage that I thought was really interesting. It was a panel discussion, and they were talking about cloud adoption. And one of the panelists said that it it was the older generations that were preventing the firm from making the transition to the cloud because they're more comfortable with desktop or, or for whatever reason and i I don't know Ed, because I see other firms that have older managing partners and they're doing really progressive things so uh, yeah, I, I just don't know if we can generalize like that
3: right and that was the point of the, the you know the article about there is no such thing as a segment because it, that, that, that that's that's the point right uh, is that, that there aren't there are individuals within within the groups that that behave very very differently and i and i and i think in, in a way it, i guess it's a shorthand in some cases but but very similar Ron, to all of the stuff that we when we talk about personality profiles i think this is just another variation on variation. that variation right yep. it's it's a way to label people and in a lot of ways, it's intellectually lazy then to just say, oh, well, you're just a millennial. You're a millennial. Yep. Right. Rather than
2: understanding them as an individual and relating to them as a fellow human being.
3: Hmm. Correct. Correct. So, I, 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 and I think there's a danger in that. I think there's a danger in all types of labels. Yeah. Any, and, anything. And, That's why I don't like ENTJ crap, so.
2: Right. <laughs> and I do think the way of knowing is important, though, for all human interaction in a workplace or just otherwise, you know, Drucker writes a lot about this. But how do people learn? How do they know? I mean, some people are more comfortable with verbal information, others visual and others are readers, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um I remember you know working with my partner Justin if I had an issue that I really wanted uh, you know make a decision on it was best to give him some type of a written you know one pager and let him mull over it mm-hmm. rather than s- sitting there in front of him and orating about it you know he he was more of a reader and that then that's how he would process it but other people learn different ways and you've mm-hmm. got to figure them out as an individual not based on what year they were
3: born <laughs> right 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 and 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 again that's that that's that's really the danger in all, all this so uh, but the I don't know I think that there's a, there, there's there's some things that I think we have to we have to be be even more careful about um I, I don't know. I'm 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 struggling putting putting the the thought but the, the, you know the whole notion that um, people can't be innovative when they're older like, w- but who is the who is the was it did you talk about this earlier the, the Charles Murray yeah. and human accomplishment? Yeah. Yep. Right? Uh, you know that that's kind of a big deal. That's that's kind of a big deal and I think we can begin to take advantage of that in business, right? Let's let people who innovate Let's make sure that we're putting people who are in a in that age group, uh, not the year they were born per se, not the generation, but the people who are either older or younger in positions where they might be able to help the organization be more innovative.
2: Sure, sure, yeah. the The vast majority of great you know leaps forward comes from come come from people below 40. At least that was one of the findings for Murray's book, Human Accomplishment. And and I also think uh, the other thing is too. There's a lot of research on rookies, you know, kind of putting amateurs in charge because they just uh, they're they're not stuck in those orthodoxies like the experts are. It's, it's not it. And this is not to say we don't need experts, but sometimes you know, giving a rookie or a team of rookies a project, you get more <laughs> innovation or a better way of doing something, and innovation can come out of that as well.
3: Yeah, and as as well as the, the 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 reverse is true, there can be a lot of shutdown by saying that you know you've got to do things this way, right? right? Um, and 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 that's that's a big problem as well. So, but again, I don't think it has anything to do with the generations generational stuff.
2: You know, maybe it's because we saw our friend and, and former sponsor Peter Wolf uh, <laughs> at, at at the Sage Summit, and he's a big Monty Python fan, and it just made me think about you know the Python scene where the four guys are sitting around talking about their childhood. Oh yeah. And, and, and yeah, you know, they talk about, well, I used to live in a lake, you know, Lake, you were lucky, you know,
3: yeah. and, and, and it just it's like under getting... a piece of cardboard on the street or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the final line in that scene, which is hysterical, maybe we need to post that on the show notes. This is just a outrageously funny scene, but the final line is, and you try and tell the young people that today and they won't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously this conflict between the generations has has been you know constant theme so in humor too
3: yes clearly well like i said, it goes goes back to at least plato at least we were able to to trace it and i'm i'm sure plato's dad was thinking that he was a young whippersnapper at one point (laughs) what's wrong with you (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, Ed, I think we did germinate a show out of this, though, because I think you're right. I think we need to do one on work-life balance. Uh, uh, that's ah, a topic we haven't, uh, we haven't uh, addressed yet, and I, I know we have pretty strong opinions on that one, too. But what's on store for next week?
3: Well, next week, as we said earlier on, we will have at least the first installment of our Live from Sage Summit 2017 show, in which we talked about... Accounting innovation and how it is not an oxymoron. So pretty pleased to present that to you. Oh,
2: excellent. Well, I look forward to that and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our show notes at soulofenterprise.com. We'll post our discussion today on generational astrology. And in the meantime, check out our live events page as well. See where Ed and I are going to be live. And you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.